entering the Freedom Hut. Anti-regime protests rocked the mullahs, and Nancy Pelosi doesn't seem too happy about it either. We'll get into that. Plus, Cory Booker is out of the presidential race. But is the Bloomberg factor going to make a difference going forward? The FISA government self-licking ice cream cone is upon us. And also, which prison should trans women be put in? That and more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Happy Monday. Man, the year is already... In full swing, flying by, we have some big news to get to today. These protests in Iran are possibly momentous for the future of that country, which could be incredibly important for the future of that region and therefore the rest of the world. But it also tells us a lot about what we've seen of the last week and a half or so, what the media has been telling us is going on over there and also what their agenda is here. We see one would think that journos would be in a frenzy to cover the Iranian protests and give additional reach to their deeply felt yearning for freedom. But would that hurt Trump? No, no, it doesn't hurt Trump. So they don't really care all that much. Owning Trump, making life harder for Trump is such a bigger deal for the journos. That should tell you everything you need to know about not just their lack of ethics in their profession, uh, their sheer abandonment of any constraints on the activism that they engage in, the propaganda that they construct and disseminate and spew on a regular basis. The journos care oh so much more about whether this is going to harm Trump than whether it could, in fact, help the Iranian people, 80 million of them and counting. Let me tell you what's going on. You have had protests in the streets over the weekend where there are thousands, tens of thousands, who even knows, of protesters who are chanting not only in opposition to the regime, they are chanting death to Soleimani, Hold on, hold on a second. I, I remember being told that Soleimani was Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and Elvis Presley all wrapped into one. That Soleimani was a folk hero to all Iranians. That, that we had killed the most important person in the history of the Iranian regime, and this was going to bring hellfire down upon us. How could we do something so egregious? How could Trump make such an awful, rash decision? This was the narrative. This is what you trying to go about your life, trying to be productive, take care of yourself, your family, pay your bills, do your job, fulfill your obligations day to day. When you're trying to see what's going on in the rest of the world, you want to know what's happening on this planet of ours. What does the media tell you? What Trump did is reckless. What Trump did is going to lead us into war because among many lies, or I should say exaggerations, half-truths, it depends what the specific one is, but among many Uh, misleading narratives out there that Soleimani was the great hero of the Iranian people and they would never forgive us, nor would they forget 
taking out a designated terrorist who was engaged in active hostile planning against the United States, whether the plot was going to come to fruition the next day, the next month, or the next year, I don't really care all that much. He was a combatant in a theater of war, and he was on the other side, and a designated terrorist, and he had plenty of chances to amend his ways, but no, he was becoming more brazen over time, and why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he become more brazen when the most powerful country in the world, the country with an economy, with a military, that dwarfs his own, that that country wouldn't be willing to do anything against him, clearly sent him a message that he was invincible, he was invulnerable. Oops, not invincible anymore. And so now you have protesters who are out in the streets risking their lives. This comes after Iran already killed up to 1,500. Imagine if we had a protest going on in this country, a protest movement with 1,500 people killed. That's a lot. I mean, put this in perspective, my friends. When we lost 3,000 about on 9-11, okay? That, I mean, you know, horrific loss of life led us into two wars, changed the world we live in. Iranians just had 1,500 people, up to 1,500 people, uh, perhaps even more. I mean, these are all estimates, but gunned down in the streets by their own regime. This is a precarious moment for that country. This is a precarious point in time for the mullahs. And it shows that the initial funerals of, oh, Soleimani, the, the big posters and the photos and all of this, which the journos were pointing to, journos who know nothing about Iran, nothing about the Middle East, they just parrot the talking points of other journos. They're pointing this and saying, see, we have awakened you know, a sleeping giant here in Iran. We've, now we have united the Iranian people with our action. Flat out wrong. Completely garbage analysis from people that are paid money, and in many cases way too much money, when you're talking about TV news journalists, uh, to tell you what's going on when they have no idea. Or they're just filling in all the blanks with whatever they want to be true. Because what really matters to them is the expression of their political preferences through the news that they report to you on any given day. Activism. Activism wrapped up in a thin film, in a thin foil of journalism. That is what they really do. And now we see that on full display for all of us. They were quite wrong. Uh, I was on a outnumbered last week talking about this issue. We'll place in the audio for you because the protests were being used. Remember the media? Oh, Martha Raddatz, look at the protests against the killing of Soleimani. Oh, that, that was a somber, oh, we need to reflect on this because why? Killing Soleimani was a Trump thing. This is all about Trump. It all comes back to Trump. Even if you don't care about foreign policy, this now, our foreign policy in Iran is merely used as a proxy battle for anti-Trumpism by our own media. It doesn't, they don't care what happens to the Iranian people. They don't care about oil prices or any of this other stuff. What does this mean for Trump? What does this mean for the Republican Party, for conservatism in America, for the opposition, the political opposition to the Libs worldview and their lust for power and the reestablishment of a liberal president and administration in the White House. That is, that is the overlay for all of this. 
because their Mideast analysis, I can't even say, I can't tell if they're so wrong because they're so ignorant about this part of the world, because I will tell you, many journalists read very few books. A lot of them don't write their own books, and they don't read any books either. They don't know anything. They know how to achieve in their own little industry, in their own little way, power. They know how to connect themselves to people in power. They know how to play the game, to play the system, to get their face out there so you see them. They don't bring any real knowledge to you. They don't bring any analysis, any context, anything worth hearing. They feed their audiences what they think their audiences want to hear. A worldview where Trump is always wrong, where his supporters are always dumb, where everything he does is always evil, and whatever they support is the only truth. There could be no opposition to it even made in good faith. That worldview explains how they get Iran so wrong. Now we have people who are risking death. It's a very different thing to go out and protest when you know that there will be the besiege, the militia, if you will, of the Iranian revolution that goes around the brown shirts of the mullahs, goes around beating people, acting as street thugs to enforce the political and cultural dictates of the regime. How many of the journalists even know about the besiege? Very few. But you want to avoid them coming to your house and finding you staying home when the big protests happen. So the numbers you see out in the streets in a society that is a tyrannical theocracy, as really any theocracy would be, uh, the people that are out in the streets in this theocracy are doing so perhaps because they have been brainwashed, perhaps because they directly benefit from the regime or the most sympathetic position, obviously, they just don't want to be attacked in their own homes in front of their own families. So they go out and they march with all the others. They feel like they have no choice. They have a metaphorical gun or in some cases an actual gun to their heads. But the people that are out now protesting against the regime, a regime so incompetent, so reckless that it would shoot a plane full of its own people, as well as dozens of Canadians and dozens of uh, and, and many Ukrainians out of the sky as a show of, you know, as part of its show of force against the United States, which was only even happening because they kept poking us and the Trump administration and our military for months and months and months. They are so stupid that they can't even do saber rattling properly. The Mullers are so inept. Their regime is so sclerotic, incompetent, foolish, self-dealing and corrupt that they can't even look tough for a day or two without messing up. And young people see this and they say, these are the idiots in charge? This is what we have to deal with? The economy is going down the toilet? We have all these restrictions on us? We can't be part... The rest of the world, believe it or not, because the press won't tell you this, the rest of the world is getting richer and happier and living longer and healthier lives all the time. Iran gets left out of that whole thing. And if you're some you know, brainwashed child of the revolution, so to speak, somebody who really believed in the mullahs taking a revolution that was happening and seizing it for themselves. It was really a counter-revolution to the 1979 uh, revolution, which so often happens, right? This is, it's, the, the people have a, a legitimate grievance. They want to get rid of the, the ruling class and then a new ruling class just asserts itself. This is how you get the uh, ex-communist dissident uh, Milovan Gilas writing the new class, which was specifically about this, how this played out in Soviet, in the Soviet system, whether we're talking about in Yugoslavia, anywhere in the Soviet Union, 
oh no, the old the old elites are gone, and we're going to have egalitarianism and fairness. Oh, actually, psych, that's not going to happen. The old elites are gone, but now you just have a new series of even more brutal and thuggish and incompetent and inept and gluttonous elites plopped on top of society. And now you've already had your revolution, so what are you going to do, another one? That's what's going on in Iran. The people that are out there now protesting against the regime, they risk death in real time. They risk being shot down where they stand, and yet they're still going out there and marching. Have you, do we, where, where's, I mean, we had you know, Martha Raddatz from ABC News. Is she doing, you know, teary-eyed protests and standing in solidarity? Stand in solidarity with the Iranian people. Don't be bystanders in this. Don't just be journos. These are people that want freedom. The same way that we have a kinship, we have a, a brotherhood and sisterhood with the Hong Kong protesters against the Chinese autocracy, we should have those feelings and it should be expressed by our journalists. They take sides so often, why won't they be firmly on this side and do so with gusto, like they care? No, I know, they'll, they'll dance around and say, oh, we're covering it, we're covering it. Yeah, they're, they're covering it like they're telling us the weather. Look at the way that they discuss Trump. Look at the way that they present anything that could be negative for Trump. It's always the end of the world. It's always catastrophe, impending catastrophe. And now they have a moment to magnify the voices of an oppressed people. This is, this is tailor-made for what journalists in this country pretend they care about, bringing information to the rest of the world to spur international action and solidarity with people that are under the boot heel of the most despotic and malicious tyrants. And where are the journos? Do you see, do they look so upset on this one? Do they look like they're all going to break out in tears unless we can get the voices of the Iranian people, the ones that are protesting against the regime, heard? No. Now, why is that? Well, on the one hand, there's the fact that it does not take down Trump, which is the primary goal of 90, 95 percent of journalists in America today, the primary goal of the Democratic Party, of Nancy Pelosi. And there's something that's even perhaps more insidious than that. It's not just that they aren't that interested in this because it doesn't tear Trump down. I think they also are downplaying it. And they are downplaying it because there is a fear. There is a fear in the hearts of many of the liberal elites right now that Trump not only was able to stare down the mullahs with the killing of Qasem Soleimani and win, but might have might have, we will see, sparked a moment of protest here that will shake the Iranian regime to its foundations. And you must ask the question, would many of these Democrats, if given their choice, would they opt for the overthrow of the mullahs at this point in time, knowing that it would be impossible, impossible for Trump not to get some of the credit for it? Or would they rather consign the Iranian people to future gener to continuing generations of torture, imprisonment, and misery. Owning Trump is so much more important to them, isn't it? You already know the answer. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. A uh, team I mentioned talking about this issue last week on on Outnumbered, when I said that on the record that this was you know for millions of people to see. 
that killing Qasem Soleimani was the right move and that the way journalists were covering protests seemed like they were rooting for the bad guys. Uh, Here's just now that we see there's other protests, just play a little bit of this, uh, Producer Mark. I think what you're seeing are people, uh, especially those who do commentary on this issue in the media, trying to see uh, what the timeline is that we're working on. Because right now it's very hard to make the case based on what expectations were of the Iranian response to taking out Qasem Soleimani, that this has been the disastrous move that many, including some on the right, thought it would be, leading us perhaps into a a deeper military escalation and perhaps conflict with Iran. People are going to say that we don't know yet, that we have to wait. Mm -hmm. um, But just based on what the initial parameters were, this has to be seen as the president establishing a red line that may in fact change Iranian calculations going forward. And the huge response from Iran just did not come. Um, that's actually from how he curts his show media buzz. Still excellent analysis, though. That is very well. We want we want outnumbered producer Mark, which was on Tuesday. It's all right. We'll get to that. We'll get that later. That was still great, though. I know when I say producer Mark, I have some a brilliant piece of analysis that I want to play for the audience from because it looks even more correct now in retrospect. Um, it, he has so many to choose from, so I can't. I can't give him too much of a hard time about that. Everything I said there, of course, I think is very much the case. That was on Media Buzz yesterday with, with Howard Kurtz. But the establishment of a new red line, shaking things up, changing things. We often hear of Trump draining the swamp. He also came in to approach diplomacy and foreign policy and international relations in a different way. We've been dealing with Iran for this version of Iran, this Iranian regime, since 1979. You know, you just go through presidencies here, you know, Carter and then Reagan and then Bush and then Clinton and then Bush and then Obama. And, you know, who who managed to do anything to really show the mullahs who's in charge when it comes when push comes to shove? Who really gets to make the call us or them? Uh, no one's been able to come up with a way to change that calculation. Trump may have just done that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We get there. We're seeing now demonstrations in the streets of Iran against the regime. Do you support those protesters, and would it be a good thing if they brought the regime down? Well, the regime, the protesters are are protesting, as I understand it, this brand of protesters, about the fact that that plane went down. And many students uh, were on that plane, and these are largely students in the street. I think the Iranians should have not had commercial flights going off when there They're was— They're calling at the regime for lying. They're saying death to Khomeini as well. No. Well, whatever it is. But the fact is this. There were protesters in the streets before against the regime. After the taking out of Soleimani, there were protesters in the street joined together, as you know, against us. That wasn't good. Taking down this plane is a terrible, terrible tragedy. And they should be held accountable for letting commercial flights go at a time that was so, so dangerous. Uh, But there are different reasons why uh, people are in the street different reasons pelosi says what a word salad of disgraceful dishonest blather absolute blather nincompoopery on an epic scale from nancy pelosi that is what we see here appalling appalling Pelosi is taking this approach and taking this tone. George Stephanopoulos asking real questions. Sometimes even the lib journals will do it. Do you support these protesters? Did you hear Pelosi at any point in that rambling, 
word salad of nincompoopery did you hear her say yes wholeheartedly with every fiber of my being as a person who loves freedom and individual dignity and liberty I wish the best for these protesters. I want their voices heard, not just across the streets of Tehran, but across the region and around the world. Where is Pelosi? This is the third most powerful person, at least in terms of presidential succession, in the United States government. She is Speaker, um, she is, uh, speaker of the House, right? She's supposed to be the person that you can turn to in a situation like this and know what kind of answer you're going to get. How obvious could this be? How much more obvious could it be? Do you support the protesters? Not a word of support from Pelosi. Not a word. Hey, they, there was a plane in the sky, and it's very bad. Thanks, Nancy. We know it's bad when a, pl- when a civilian jetliner gets shot out of the sky with a lot of people on board who are totally innocent, including, by the way, our brothers and sisters to the north, many Canadians, the worst, worst airline disaster they've had in decades. Yeah, we all know that's bad, Nancy. We don't need you. To- it's bad when people die. Thanks, Nancy. You're not a well. You're not a total moron, but that remains to be seen. Should they? Should they bring down? Would it be good if they brought down the regime? This is what Stephanopoulos asks her. What if they could bring it down? Is that a good thing? Nancy says nothing. She has an she has an opportunity here to say, do Do you support the protesters, Nancy? Yes or no? Should the regime come down? Yes or no? Do you know why she doesn't want to even give... She doesn't even want to pay attention to those. She doesn't even answer the questions. Because Trump kills Soleimani. Big protests against the Iranian regime, including death to Khomeini, death to Soleimani. There is video of Iranians climbing up and pulling down and kicking these banners that the regime, in classic you know, Soviet communist fashion, right? Put up the icons of your leadership and worship them. These, these, uh, these long banners they have of Soleimani's face, people are tearing it down. People are kicking it. By the way, putting a shoe on someone's face is actually a very, it's a very uh, grave insult in the Middle East. It was why a long time ago when that guy, that Iraqi, uh, who then joined the Iraqi parliament, tells you a lot, threw shoes at George W. Bush, that, that's, a, that's a grave insult. It's more akin to... Uh, Extending a solitary digit from one's hand, shall we say, in our culture. So a lot of people in the streets against the regime. Why does why does Pelosi not take this opportunity to support the protesters? She's on, you know, she's on one of these Sunday shows that the elites are supposed to care so much about that set the tone for the rest of the week. Where is Nancy Pelosi on this? Why are we not hearing more about the need to support these protesters? And oh, that's right, because. It could be good for Trump. It's not bad for Trump. That is what determines everything else. That's all that really matters to her. Would she want the regime to fall? Think about this. The president came along and said, we're not going to do the Obama bowing and begging and sending cash routine to the mullahs. You know, please, please give us a deal. Here's a bunch of money. We'll unfreeze your assets. Just just let us have some inspectors look at your nuclear facilities. Can't can't destroy the facilities, by the way. Can't take out the infrastructure. Just look at them. The ones that we the ones that we show you, you can look at them. Oh, thanks. Never knows. They can just turn them back on, start spinning again. Stunning stuff, really is. Trump comes in instead instead and says, hold on a second. We're not, we're the big dogs in the block. We're not here to, we're not here to take orders from the Iranians. This deal is crap. We're going to put on a maximum pressure campaign. Turns out the Iranians uh, are 
very uh, the young Iranians, those who see their futures ahead of them and want something better, they don't like this regime. This is a really volatile moment. And Trump, while while Pelosi is blathering on like a like a total imbecile about and you know the, the plane went down and they should have cleared their airspace. Thanks, Pelosi. What are you like all of a sudden a tactical genius? And, and Nancy Pelosi, the the you know four star general, get out of here, get out of here. Um. So here here's a a perfect example. This is what President. President Trump um, has to say about what is going on with the Iranian people. President Trump is willing to speak very clearly to the leaders. This is yesterday. To the leaders of Iran, do not kill your protesters. Thousands have already been killed or imprisoned by you, and the world is watching. More importantly, the USA is watching. Turn your Internet back on and let reporters roam free. Stop the killing of your great Iranian people. That that's the way that you would think the leader of the free world would speak. And he did or would write in this case. Nancy Pelosi instead is talking about how, you know, yeah, the protest. There are a lot of different reasons why people are protesting. This is Pelosi saying, well, you know, the regime's got some support. Make no mistake about it. Oh, thanks, Nancy. I'm so glad you could clarify that for us. Oh, and there were protests before Notice how she, she settled in on that to the George Stephanopoulos question. There were protests before, as in, let's not give Trump all the credit for what's going on right now. We have gone. Let, let's, we, we have to take stock of this, friends, because they won't do this for you. They won't present this to you honestly in the media. We've gone in the span of a week from what Trump did is reckless, leading us to war and uniting the Iranian people to what may be the most volatile moment for the mullahs since 1979, showing the entire world that there are plenty of Iranians who hated Soleimani and what he was doing. Uh, the spreading of terror throughout the Middle East is not something that the Iranian day-to-day -day people, the Iranian uh, uh, folks, support and want. And Trump has also changed the calculation of the mullahs, stared them down for the first time you really go back to when? I don't even know. Reagan? When was the last time somebody stirred the mullahs down and won? All that has happened in the span of a week. And what is Pelosi telling you? Oh, well, she's upset that they didn't clear their airspace. As if this is only, as if the protests in the streets are just about that. That's what she's trying to pretend here. Oh, they're upset because of the air, the plane. No, the plane getting shot out of the sky is just another appalling manifestation of the incompetence the just the, the the sheer the lack of accountability, the lack of efficiency and competency, all these things that this regime in Iran gets away with because it's an oppressive totalitarian state. And people are saying, you morons, you morons can't even hit back at the great Satan without blowing a plane out of the sky. Why are you in charge? It's a perfect moment to push back on the regime. And you might say, Buck, I don't care much about foreign policy. Look, I don't want us invading Iran either. But we always hear about this. Where is the leadership? You know, they, they talk about how Trump doesn't denounce. Oh, Trump doesn't denounce Putin enough. By the way, a world leader that we have to deal with where there's no there's no isolating Russia like there's isolating North Korea or even Iran. You can't do it. Right. But all Democrats, though, they were banging war drums. I mean, it sounded like it sounded like you would have had, you know, Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi and and uh, 
Chuck Schumer, you know, ready to invade Moscow on a day's notice when it was bad for Trump and the whole whole Russia collusion fiasco. Now here we are with the Iranians and yeah, you know, it's bad that they shot a plane out of the sky. I understand that some people are mad about that, but there are some people that really like Soleimani. So what Trump did was really scary. It's all when you start when you look at it through this prism, notice how it's all so clear. Notice how everything that I have told you here in the Freedom Hunt, and I don't mean to be, I know so there's so many radio hosts that I know out there always, oh, I'm so smart and amazing, you know, whatever. I make mistakes. I'm honest with you about that. I, you know, I try to be a real person here every day. But I'm not wrong on this. I haven't been wrong on this one iota, not one little bit, because I understand the prison that the media is trying to present these facts to you. And also, I worked on the Iraq desk of the CIA and understand these dynamics and how it's been for a long time. So that's where we are right now. But that Pelosi answer was was really in some way in some ways it was actually perfect i'm really glad i'm really glad that she gave it because now it would be impossible for anyone to think the democrats are doing anything other than playing politics here other than making sure that their own narrow their own parochial political interests are being represented and being advanced by the narrative of the media on any given day Forget the Iranian people, the Democrats say. They're not helpful to us right now because they want freedom. And they've seen that the emperor not only has no clothes, the emperor in Iran is not invincible. Soleimani is not invincible. I've got an idea, Democrats. Why don't you take this one and run with it? Maybe we have shown the Iranian people that their tormentors, their jailers, their imprisoners, those who are actually doing that and those who are part of that apparatus for the mullahs. They are not invincible. They can be defeated. They can be taken out. They can be killed. That changes the dynamic, doesn't it? It changes the calculation. People think if Soleimani is not untouchable, who else is not untouchable? Who else can no longer get away with pulling people from their families in the middle of the night to torture them and make them disappear forever? Maybe the mullahs don't have the ability to continue this forever. You would think that Democrats, if they cared about human freedom and dignity, would seize upon this narrative to assist their Iranian brothers and sisters. But they do not. They do not because it is not effective in hurting Trump. And hurting Trump is the single most important thing for all of them. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, the, the media has been covering this as though there isn't a whole lot of state compulsion, which I think needs to get a little bit more attention in this process. What does that mean? It means schools are being let out and kids are being told, well, even if you don't know anything, go out there and cry for the cameras. It means that if you don't go, uh, the besieged, they're, they're kind of the, uh, the street militia, if you will, of the Iranian regime. They're making sure that people turn out for this. If you don't show up, I mean, they go house to house, door to door. If you aren't, I'm not saying there aren't people who are upset. There clearly are. But they're also swelling the numbers. And we're talking about a totalitarian state with no free press and no free so, thought. So, so how much should we really care that they're protesting in these numbers? We don't know how many of them truly believe that this is an act of aggression that should be responded to in the se severest way. And now we see there are a lot of people protesting against the regime. Gee, how did I know this? Maybe some skepticism from the journals. Huh? Martha Raddatz is out there. Look at the numbers of the protests. Oh, my gosh. What has Trump done? The Iranian people are streaming into the streets. Oh, no. What will we do? Oh, maybe a bit of skepticism about whether those kinds of state-compelled shows of union and solidarity aren't, in fact, representative of the will, of the thoughts, of the aspirations of 80 million people in that country. I, I was able to figure that out. 
Why, why weren't all these journos? They were live streaming the funeral of Soleimani from his hometown in Iran on ABC News. I'm surprised you didn't have ABC News reporters showing up, you know, dressed all in black, head to toe, in solidarity or in mourning. At what point, at what point is mirroring Iranian propaganda, is, 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 is putting it out there, platforming it, promoting it? We should ask that question. You might say, Buck, why would they do that? I mean, Iran is an enemy state and all these other bad things. Yeah, well, because remember... The storyline was Trump did this thing and now this terrible, there's this huge surge and terrible things and war in the Middle East and war with Iran and all these awful things are going to happen. And then, no, wait a second. That was a very myopic, a very limited view of the circumstances. And now we see that there's actually this movement of youth out in the streets that are risking their lives. How much do they really care about when you protest and you could get killed? You, you really care. When you're protesting and you're going to get a high five from the secret police as you're walking by them, why are you really there? We don't really know. But this is why I like to read about totalitarian regimes. This is why I'm in the midst of a fantastic biography of Joseph Stalin. This is why I, I like to know about how authoritarian regimes function so that when I come here, when I sit down with you and talk to you about these issues, I have some context for it. Some knowledge to bring to these matters that's not just, I saw this on Talking Points Memo, and, and you know, there's a really smart person in the HuffPost who has an Iranian name, so, like, the totally must know everything about this. And Yeah, that's what you get from most of them. That's what you see. I, I would like there to be greater accountability for those who put forward the worst kind of analysis. By the way, there's all this back and forth on whether... Um, killing Soleimani was justified. This is the other thing they've now drilled down on. At first, it was they tried that Trump is responsible for the shoot down of the airliner. They tried that, right? Unintended consequences doctrine. They were trying to dress this up. It just, it didn't work. But now they're saying, well, he didn't have the justification to kill Soleimani. Here's what Secretary of Defense Mark Esper says about that. Play 14, Mark. I don't believe either of those two uh, AUMFs, if you will, authorize an attack on the country of Iran. But the president does have authority under both those to strike at armed groups, militia groups uh, emanating from Iraq. He certainly has uh, the commander in chief's Article Two authority to defend the United States. It's been uh, it's been uh, uh, executed by presidents for many decades. We can go back to Reagan with Libya or Grenada, uh, Bush with Panama, Clinton with Bosnia, Somalia. Uh, Haiti. Presidents have used that authority. The president relied on that authority in this case as well. Fully justified, fully legitimate to go after uh, Qassam Soleimani, a known terrorist leader in Baghdad, coordinating further actions that would result in the deaths of America. I, I don't know what else really needs to be said at this point. I mean, the Democrats, notice how much skepticism they will show of Trump and anyone who works for this administration, their own country. And not just skepticism, but, but they just, they will, they will out of hand, without any evidence or justification beyond their own feelings, dismiss, oh, they're lying, they're lying, they must be lying. Do you ever hear them say that about the mullahs? Do you ever hear them saying that about, you know, they're now uh, claiming, <laughs> it's amazing that, that the Iranian regime didn't know that they shot down, the, they knew they shot down that plane right away, and the mullahs were lying about it. Why wasn't our own press like, they're probably lying about it. Oh, because Trump is the bigger threat. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
we had we have confidence in our case that it is impeachable and this president is impeached for life regardless of any gamesmanship on the part of Mitch McConnell however uh, that could still come to bear but we're confident in the impeachment and we think that it is enough testimony to remove him from office however we want the American people to see the truth and and what why are they afraid of the truth Nancy Pelosi Getting a lot of lot of lot of airtime today on the show. Let me start with let me start with this before we dig into Pelosi. She's flailing here. I mean, she she's lost this round. Nancy Pelosi, the media is not going to put it this way because so much of her so much of Pelosi's power that she's a grand strategist, a you know, a master tactician of the Congress and all this stuff. No. They're always like, yes, queen with Nancy Pelosi, but no. She's cunning, she's ruthless, she's unethical. She'll say whatever she has to say. She'll do whatever she has to do. But that's not the same thing as somebody who has a genius of strategic vision. Not at all. But remember when the whistleblower was the most important person in America? He was going to take down this president to save our republic, right? And the media was all in to help him. Can't know the name of the whistleblower, right? Reported as Eric Sharamella, but can't, can't ever. Oh, oh, oh. Is, am I going to be struck by lightning? Producer Mark, are we safe in here? Did you hear? Did you hear a clap of thunder? Oh, but that would come afterwards. So we would even. I promise, if if you get turned into uh, a little pile of of carbon because I've invoked the whistleblower's name, I will say very nice things at your funeral, Producer Mark. I just want you to know. And also, if that clap of of thunder and if the lightning bolt were able to go through the like fifteen stories of building above us to go into our dark little uh, little. Uh, what do we call this? Hut. <laughs> I guess it would be a nice... This is, I'm not even sure it qualifies as a hut in here. But if, in fact, you were instantaneously turned into some steaming carbon, sure. um, I, would have, I would have nothing but the most... And I would show up wearing your choice of either Islanders or Rangers jersey to your funeral. Uh, always a Ranger jersey, please. Rangers jersey, yeah. okay. Don't wear that trash to my... But we're still, we want, we're still going to go out. We're still going to go to an Islanders game. Just you you said Islanders. you didn't want to go to Nassau Coliseum. So. Ah, I might change my mind. All right. You saw the ticket prices finally? Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Rangers games are expensive. Papa Buck needs a new pair of shoes. Okay. Uh, back, back into Pelosi's gambit here. I mean, she is... Um, she has run out of options here, right? I mean, she, she kept trying. They kept trying to come up with something because impeachment now is a huge stain on Pelosi's tenure. There's no question about it. Im- impeachment doesn't look good for her. She can say that the president is impeached for life, but very soon, guess what we're going to be able to say? The president was exonerated for life, too. Boom. What do you got to say now, Pelosi? What's next? Um, they've also really lowered. They've They've taken the threshold that we all should understand would be there for an impeachment, they've lowered that threshold so that now it's just a petty tool of partisan attack. And it was not supposed to be that. It was the tool of last resort with a clear, unambiguous charge that would make people who are who are politically, if you cannot get any person who is a supporter and, you know, a supporter of the president you oppose, any person to come forward and say, you know what, I've changed my mind because of this. Uh, well, what does that tell you? And people say, oh, but what about, I don't know, like Justin Amash or something? I never I never trusted that guy. I never trusted that guy. I mean, people that you actually wouldn't, that you wouldn't expect to be turncoats against the president. 
but there we have it. Pelosi is going to have to transmit those articles. And my man, Jesse Kelly, wherever you are, Jesse Kelly, hashtag Buck gets a steak. And we made that bet on air on my show. I, I was, I was going to pay up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make Jesse Kelly. He's, we're, we're talking tomahawk ribeye. Uh, tomahawk. Tomahawk. Tomahawk ribeye. I, mean, I guess you call it a, if it was a tomahawk ribeye. Ah, oh, gosh, I can't even say it. That's how hungry I am. That's how hungry I am. It's uh, one of those days here in the Freedom Hut. So Pelosi is going to have to transmit these articles. Um, and she also has to come up with different ways to try to massage this. So she has to give the media their talking points so they can be all, oh, yes, Nancy's such a genius. She's so smart on this stuff. And she's also trying to tell us that don't worry, Trump's not going to be in the White One way or another, Trump's not going to be in the, in the White House come a year and a couple of weeks from now. This is the new line. Please play producer Mark uh, 19 here so we can hear from Nancy herself on this one. But again, it's Sunday morning. Let's be optimistic about the future, a future that will not have Donald Trump in the White House. One way or another, 10 months from now, we will have an election if we don't have him removed sooner. But again, he will be impeached forever. This is like Nancy Pelosi standing in front of a house that she just like set on fire by accident and saying, whoa, whoa, everybody, everybody, calm down, calm down. Let's not. There's plenty of time to point blame, uh, point fingers of blame later. Let's just focus now on what a beautiful house will be built behind me when this heap of ashes is moved aside and all the people's belongings that are lost forever uh, find their way into a trash heap, and uh, and we will move on to the beautiful house that will be built. Then I mean, this is Nancy, this is a total a total misdirection play from Nancy Pelosi. Let let's focus on how the president's not going to be in office. The president's not going to be the president uh, going forward. Um, no, I think we should focus on how Nancy Pelosi decided that she was going to give the insane left wing base what they no question what what they wanted. They have wanted all along here um but it wasn't a good move it wasn't intelligent it wasn't the way it was supposed to go and look Pelosi's having a bad week between impeachment and the fake news nancy hashtag that's trending on twitter because of her disastrous answer to that stephanopoulos question showing not even a not a modicum not not a smidgen to borrow from that remember obama with not a smidgen of corruption at the irs except for the targeting of conservatives which they admitted to in an election year but not a smidgen of corruption other than that uh the reality here is that pelosi had not a smidgen of respect not a smidgen of consideration for the people of iran who are actively risking their lives right now to speak out against a regime that does not allow that it does not allow that um, and you do have, oh, wait, you have you have idiots like Bill Weld. I, I wanted to get to this. Before. I, I know we're, we're moving past Iran, but I want to get back to this for a second. Um, people like to do this. They like to compare Trump to authoritarian regimes that kill and imprison journalists because Trump will make fun of journalists. That just shows you what a bunch of thin-skinned wimps most journalists really are uh, because they can't they can't be mocked publicly without thinking that that's Basically the same thing as being, you know, tied upside down and beaten with rods until you pass out from the pain. Like, they, they think that's more or less the same thing. There's an equivalency here. And, and then you even have Democrat politicians that give voice to this because, you know, anything to attack Trump. Uh, producer Mark, clip 
two, if you would, please. You're running against not just Trump, but the pro-Trump media as well? Well, you know, I, people say, what about Fox News? And I've been yeah. on Fox News plenty in the old days. Yeah. I mean, this is not about Fox News. This is about Donald J. Trump, who demands exclusive loyalty uh, from everybody. And, and now we know that one bit of good news today is uh, we know that he wants uh, reporters to roam free in Iran. But the only problem is he doesn't want them to roam free in the United States because he says to us, a free press is the enemy of the people. And, you know, starting with Jim Comey, as far as I can tell, this president has demanded not only loyalty, but exclusive loyalty uh, from from everybody. And, uh, you know, you not not only got to be loyally to him, you got to not be loyal to the truth. And well is a moron. What he said there was indefensibly stupid. Also, uh, Brian Stelter is not actually challenging him with anything. He's like, Brian Stelter. I have a show on CNN. Nobody knows why. I just do whatever Judge Zucker tells me to. Uh, Bill Weld says that Trump doesn't want reporters to roam free in the United States. Really? Well, what, what are the actions that he's taken? That what, what has he actually done? It was Obama. Let's remember this. Obama who was pulling the phone records of journalists. It was Obama who was using the Espionage Act to not only prosecute whistleblowers, but using the Espionage Act to list in DOJ indictments journalists as unindicted co-conspirators for the crime of getting information using national security sources to, uh, to publish stories. And it was the Obama administration that used the Espionage Act more than every, every presidency before it combined and the press just took it yeah there was like a couple editorials or uh, one or two people at cnn this is this is troubling this is a troubling precedent never like this is tyrannical bs and obama's out of control with this stuff i mean it was always you know oh we are we are troubled by this new precedent set that could be a threat to the first amendment in some ways but we have faith that the obama administration will take care of this you know it'll all be fine <sighs> yeah, Trump is because Trump tells us the truth about how journalists are um, frauds and that they are not nonpartisan. They're not disinterested parties in the national conversation and certainly national politics. He's just like the mullahs who imprison journalists, who torture and murder journalists. Just the same thing. Same thing. Only a moron could believe this. I just don't know. I can never find for you. And I feel like this has become a it's not only a recurring theme. I, I feel like I'm in some way. Failing you on this one, I, I can't really assess with these libs whether it's more that they're dumb or they're dishonest on some of these issues. Like they're too stupid to know why they're so wrong or they're just such liars and so invested. You know, is it an 80-20 proposition? Is it 50-50? I wish I could give you a scientific number, but I know it, it is both. It is both to be sure. Um, and... That's where the situation stands with impeachment, my friends. It is both stupid and dishonorable. This was going to be the, the moment that Pelosi held back the articles. This was going to be the moment that she established some new dominance over Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Mitch McConnell, I wish we could have a live view of his office because I feel like he's I feel like cocaine Mitch is sitting there with a giant cohiba in one hand and a list of judges that he is confirming in the other, just guffawing. Every time he sees on the TV Pelosi, you know, saying, oh, they better have a fair, a fair Senate trial or else we're not going to transmit. Mitch is like, great, don't transmit him. We'll just say that we shut this thing down. We've got what we've got. See you later. 
And by the way, I, I, I feel very strong. They should shut it down. No, 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 don't treat this with any more seriousness than it deserves. It deserves zero seriousness, zero respect. This is unacceptable. That's the way we should view this. That's the way we should treat this. Shut it down. Slap it down. Dunzo. I sit around and have some long, drawn-out conversation, have some national dialogue about all this? I, I think not. I think not. Uh, the, the urgent impeachment that was so urgent that Pelosi's now, what, six weeks sitting on it, not transmitting it? It's been over a month, maybe five weeks then, I guess. Oh, it was so urgent until it wasn't because it was always about what was most effective, most helpful for Democrats. Well, that's not about urgency. That's expediency. These are different words. Pelosi should use a dictionary. Again, stupid or dishonest? It's anybody's guess. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Cory Booker is out. My friends, Cory Booker is one of these politicians that, uh, the, that the Democrat elite establishment just loves. They love Cory Booker. They think he's amazing. He's just so smart and he's a hunk and he's wonderful and all this stuff. I mean, he's not, as my friend Michael Malice referred to me last week, I'm not sure he's a macrocephalic hunk because I've got a giant head. I don't know. Some of you can disagree with the hunk part for me, but macrocephalic is just fact check true. Uh, but they think Cory Booker's incredible. They love him. He's treated with uh, with tremendous warmth and eagerness by the uh, national liberal media. And uh, a guy couldn't get above like two or three percent ever in the polls. No one no one was enthusiastic on the Democrat side in terms of voters, really, about making this guy the next president of the United States. And I will never forget his greatest producer mark. Do we have this His his greatest ever moment? And by greatest, I mean most laughable in the Senate. Play it. I appreciate the comments of my colleagues. This is about the closest I'll probably ever have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment. I'm Spartacus! Oh, there we go. You had, you had both of them for, yeah. Um, Corey, I am Spartacus Booker uh, claiming that, you know, he's, he's, he's speaking truth to power. He's standing up for what he needs to stand up for and all this stuff. Um no. That was during the Kavanaugh thing. I never forgave Cory Booker for that. Not that I was a Cory Booker fan other than that. I, I do find him less. He would give these speeches where he's trying so hard to be earnest. And I will tell you, he I think he's probably a pretty nice guy. I do get that sense. Unlike some of these, you can always tell. You look at these politicians. Like Bernie Sanders is not a nice guy, by the way. I mean, some of these people are just not very nice. Um, you know, Amy Klobuchar, yeah, the stories you already know, but not, not that nice. I think Cory Booker's probably a nice guy. And you can yell at me for saying the same way I think Tulsi Gabbard's probably fun to go put, uh, you know, go hop on a surfboard and hang out and drink some. I, well, it's like a Hawaii. I was going to say Mai Tai, but that's not a Hawaiian drink. What's a Hawaiian drink? Anyway, you can go hang out with Tulsi Gabbard. I feel like she's probably pretty cool. Um, I feel like Cory Booker's probably a nice guy. That's why people like him. But why why Cory Booker? Well, that, that was the question that he was really never able to to answer to the satisfaction of the Democrat base. Why would uh, Cory Booker be somebody who, given all these other possible candidates in the mix that you'd want to go for? Um, and that then brings me to 
what you'd have to call the Bloomberg effect. Now, I, I technically worked for Mayor Bloomberg at one point when I was at the NYPD Intelligence Division as an intelligence specialist, which is just a fancy way of saying a civilian contractor working on counterterrorism issues, or a not fancy way of saying it. Really, it sounds like I was you know, plugging in computers or something, but which we did some of that for sure. Uh, but you know, the NYPD, you know, in a sense, the commander in chief of the NYPD is the mayor which is terrifying when you think about the fact that de Blasio is the mayor of New York City today. Um, and maybe even more terrifying to think about how everyone thought Anthony Weiner, oh yeah, that Weiner, everyone thought that he was going to be um, the next mayor of New York City. But Bloomberg is spending money in a way that no one's ever seen before in politics. Now, it is the case that money cannot buy elections. Just as Jeb, exclamation, and the $100 million that he spent to get, I don't know, a couple of, de- like a handful of delegates maybe or something. He spent $100 million, $100 million, okay, spent for Jeb Bush to not go anywhere. And Hillary's campaign, I think all in, spent at least, I'm just doing this from memory so I could be wrong, I think it was double what the Trump campaign spent. That's a that's an enormous advantage, right? If one campaign spends 700 and 50 million million which i think is and the other campaign spends 1.5 billion you know you would think that but as we know sorry hillary what happened what happened was she lost uh but now you have somebody who could easily spend of his own money a billion two billion dollars now i don't know if i mean i i think that you you can't actually by the presidency in the sense that you alone with that money wouldn't be able to just say, I'm going to be the next president. I don't think that's possible. But we have to look at what is possible. And maybe that's worth a moment of our time. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. In a nation in which major league ball players can sign contracts for hundreds of millions of dollars, we can pay teachers $60,000 a year in salary. You might say, why would you play that clip for us, Buck? I thought we were talking about Bloomberg and spending money. Oh, no, no. It's important to play that clip for you because Democrats who live in the real world, Democrats who don't get their all of their information from... You know, Daily Coast, or did they shut that one down? I think that one got shut down. You know, HuffPo, Salon, Talking Points Memo, all these, all those different places uh, that that leftists will get there. The socialists, let's just say it. Can we just start calling them socialists more? By the way, I think that sounds like the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. So they're socialists, and you know, Bernie Sanders shows you that he just has no understanding of how market forces work. You know, in a nation in which major league ball players can be worth hundreds of millions of dollars, we pay teachers $60,000 a year on salary. Or we can pay teachers $60,000 a year on salary. Uh, to this, I would point out, okay, um, what is the determination? Let's just start with major league baseball players. How many people can be, and when he talks about hundreds of millions of dollars, I mean, even producer Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, there are players who sign those contracts, but there can't be more than what? A dozen or two that are hundreds of millions of dollar contracts? A hundred million contracts off the top of my head, it probably 
20 to 30 yeah. players. Okay. Yeah. That make, yeah. So like so like you got to you got to let's just make this easy. You got to be a top a top 50. Yeah, the superstars player. of the game, the best players. Right. Yes. You got to be top 50 player. To be a top 50, I mean just just for some basic market economics here. To be a top 50 baseball player in the United States, a country of 300 and let's call it 30 million people. Oh, and by the way, you have to be better than the best pitchers in Japan, the best pitchers in Cuba, in the Dominican Republic. I'm just trying to think of places that have a long and storied history of baseball. Am I leaving any big ones out? No, but they all inevitably come to Major League Baseball to play. But that, no, but that's what I'm saying. Yes. You have to. You're competing against the best of Japan, the yes. best of Cuba, the best of Dominican Republic. So you got these these different competitive realities out there and if you were to do the numbers on it if you devote your life devote your life to playing baseball the chance of you having a even being in the major league never mind being in this top 50 realm that uh, producer mark and i are talking about you're in like the point zero 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 one percent category okay it's really really hard it's very 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 small chance overall people that are when I say devote your life, I mean, you know, spend all of your youth, you know, play in high school and, you know, then try to play in college or whatever um, with all that going on. So if you want to be a teacher and I'm not knocking teachers, but if you want to be a teacher and you're a nice person with a, you know, solid education and you're reasonable. And by the way, a lot of people in the public school says something like reasonable with kids, good education. What teachers are you talking about? Because there's a lot of. Look, there's a lot of a lot of riffraff in the teachers' ranks. There's no question. There's a lot of a lot of weak stuff, but there's also fantastic ones. I mean, I I still have teachers that I think back to this day with tremendous fondness and and really feel that they shaped my thinking in ways that affect what I'm saying to you today. And I'm talking about teachers I had when I was in the fourth grade, teachers in the eighth grade, teachers you know going way back. I'm an old man now, so this is kicking it back quite a ways. But there are market forces that determine why people who are public school teachers make roughly X and why the best baseball players in the world make Y. And when people are willing to pay, you know, now I might have to take producer Mark and producer Brand to a baseball game, too. Although if it's a Mets game, I feel like that's probably pretty cheap. Uh, but if <laughs> you know, it's true. He's, he, he, wa he wanted to give me some guff on that. But, you know, come on. The Mets, don't they give them away with, like, samples of Tide? They give away those tickets? <laughs> no, not anymore. Oh, really? Uh, I right. mean, I have my ways of getting into that place. Oh, well, there we go. You realize, That's some people, huh? You realize where I worked before here, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. See, uh -huh. we were, we're definitely going to baseball. Uh-huh. Baba Buck doesn't have to shell out the big bucks for that one. We're going to a baseball game in the springtime for sure. So where was I on this one? Um, market forces. Bernie Sanders rejects them. Bloomberg... Here, here's, here's where I'm really trying to take you. And I've been saying this for a long time. In fact, my old, uh, my old friend and, you know, the guy that I, I, I always, I'm a loyalty person. I will always be thankful to Glenn Beck for starting my career in media, um, saving me from business school and putting me on this course where I get to talk to you every day. So I, I, you will never hear me say anything about Glenn other than he's a magnificently talented performer and I, and I owe him. Um, but I do remember having an on-air discussion with Glenn once about about Bloomberg and uh, just saying that, look, I I'm not as concerned in a sense about the Bernie Sanders effect as I am about the Bloomberg effect. Or let, let me put this a different way. If you're worried about winning elections, Bernie Sanders, he may win, but he'll probably win once. 
right? He's because he's an incompetent. He's he's a Jimmy Carter with with more communism, right? He's an incompetent, doesn't understand the markets. The economy would tank. There'd be all kinds of problems. Now, in some ways, the policies, if he had a if he had a compliant Congress that he could push, might push us into Bernie Sanders might be able to bring us into a socialist future that would be very, very difficult to extricate ourselves from. That's a distinct possibility. But his ineptitude would become a liability. Ah, Bloomberg is a different situation because Bloomberg is deeply ideological, hates the Second Amendment. I mean, he is one of the biggest opponents of the Second Amendment on the political scene in the country and has the dollars and cents to back it up uh, in terms of the groups he funds and the ads that he buys. Uh, he's a big nanny state guy, as we know. He was the anti, anti-soda guy. No more 60-ounce sodas. Right, which I will say, a 60-ounce soda is uh, a little much. That's, that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of soda. Um, but I'm not, I, I'm not trying to take that big gulp out of your hands. I've actually never had a big gulp. Bruce Mark, you can thumbs up or thumbs down. Big gulp, good, or you can tell me. No, no. Have you ever had one? I've had one, but I've regretted it afterwards. It's gross, right? Yeah, it's disgusting. It's really gross. It's actually one of the parts of my diet. I cut out soda. Oh, that's a huge. That's a, really, you were having soda before you cut it out. That's a giant. Yeah, I mean, I used to drink diet soda because I don't drink coffee. So yeah, I need some people the say that's actually worse because yeah, exactly. the way that it affects your blood sugar and also yeah. the way that it affects hunger can be worse for you than I'm. So I, I don't actually, do, it's been a week. I feel a lot better. You know, we should get one. By the way, we should get one of those uh, guys that you make your own soda at home as an advertiser on the show because I'm a big believer. The in soda that, stream. Well, the word saying. Oh, I'm sorry. I gave right. a free plug. Yeah, I was like, whoa, hey, hey, oh. <laughs> that whoever, was the original one. Whoever, you know, may the best soda maker win here for a little sponsorship from the Bucks. Action I've never show, used one, but I really like seltzer. My parents That's have one at home, not to be named on air right now, that they we we just live off of it. I mean, we're just, because, yeah. you know, you a little bit of flavoring and the bubbles, and it goes a long way. When you think about how much sugar goes into, if you took a can of Coke and you just poured the sugar into it. Disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, you'd never in a million years. But what's happening now are those companies are all these healthy drink companies get bought by Coca-Cola and these other companies now yes. too. So they distribute them and they own that because people have realized that sugar is in the food war. And look, I'm a dude. I'm a sugar. Sugar is my sugar and French fries are my weakness. Those yeah, are the when two it's things. in chocolate, of course. Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> so sugar and French fries. But sugar is the enemy. Yes, it really is. And and I've seen. I remember there was a guy who he did look a bit like. He was known as Jesus Dave because he did look a bit like the sort of uh, northern Italian depictions from the high renaissance of, <laughs> you know, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus. He had very long hair. He had this beard. He, and he just I, I asked him, I said, what did you do? This guy came in. He was over 300. I mean, he was a big, a big boy, a big dude. And he cut out sugar and walked, I think he said, three to four miles every day. Six days a week, basically, right? Every day. He'd sure. walk three to four miles, cut out no sugar, none, nothing, not even like things like whole milk, for example. If you drink a glass of whole milk, it has like 10 or 12 grams of sugar. Yeah. Like, there are things you wouldn't even think. Cut out all sugar. Or like if you have a banana with your breakfast, this dude sugar. evaporated and became actually a pretty good member of the of the rowing team. I mean, no. when I say evaporated, I mean, he just like all, all adipose tissue disappeared and it would look like a different human being. It was crazy. And that was all he did. He no. definitely had some sort of surgery to get rid of the extra skin. Oh, well, yeah. You have to. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know what the guy's like personal habits were. I'm just yeah. saying, I asked him about it, and I said, what did you do? And he just said, no sugar. And because, you really, you know, the three to four miles a day. I Strength training, as you know, is, is a more effective 
Um, I read about these things. I just don't live my life according sure. to what I know from reading. Strength training is more effective than, than cardio. But even just getting into a caloric deficit, if you pull out the sugar, you will lose weight. That yeah. will happen. Yeah. So anyway, sugar is bad. See, we had a little little health tip today on the Buck Sexton show, courtesy of producer Bark and producer Buck. By the way, you're reminding me, I'm I'm getting I'm getting healthy. I'm cutting back on booze. Okay. Only mezcal on weekends. Maybe a glass of wine with a, with if I have a nice dinner during the week, but like cutting way back on the booze. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to keep the chocolate stash on lock until weekends. See, I say I'm gonna be healthy, then I have a bunch of beer on Saturday, and I buy a uh, Ben and Jerry's what it half baked. Well, you know, they, they share with the wife. They say yeah. if you are good 80% of the time, yes. you're basically where you need to be, but that 80% can turn into 50% real fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, during yeah. the week last week, I was fine. No soda, no sugar, no nothing. Then the weekend came, I so, was so this is, I know this has been a hell of a how, how much are you down so far? Have you, have you done it? Are uh, you I waiting on the measurements myself. for a while? I'm not going to measure myself. Not for a while. Okay. I'm just, my first thing is cut out soda and just eat healthier. All right. I'm not going to go on a really strict diet. If I just eat clean, I'll be better. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm actually trying to get, I'm also trying to eat clean. I've thought about even having a, uh, uh, not, to, not that I'm being lazy and bougie, but I guess I'm admitting to being lazy and bougie, um, having like a, a keto delivery service that will just send, like sure. it's frozen, send it to you. It's a very Manhattan and, thing to do. It's a very Manhattan thing to do, yeah. I'm aware. But I don't have time to cook because I got I to rock Where do you go grocery life. shopping in Manhattan? What do you mean? There's grocery stores everywhere. Is there? We've got Whole Foods here. Oh, yeah, this really? place is fancy. But I'm I'm looking to I'm looking to drop by June. I'm giving mm. myself. I want to be down 15. I'm not going to share my actual weight on the air, but I will tell you how much I'm down by June. I'm okay. looking to drop 15. If I can get to 20, that'd be amazing. Sure. 15 pounds down by. Does June. that count adding muscle too? Because you know, that's where the measurements get. Yeah, a little I weird. know that's where the measurements. I don't know. We got to think about this. But maybe muscle gotta, weighs more than fat. I feel, I feel like we're stumbling onto like some kind of a team buck challenge here. You know, we could do sure. everybody who wants to. Do, we got to come up with a cool hashtag for this. And you, you and I oh. can like share some of whatever measurements we care to share, and and then we'll both try to share a little bit of our journey here by June. Because obviously, well, dude, you live out by the beach. It's gonna be beachy. I do. Well, I'm not gonna live out by the beach for long. Well, yeah. I want to move. But... Nonetheless, you can still visit your folks out there. Sure. So yeah, so yeah, so we're we're a little bit of a health kick here. Oh wait, we were talking about Kami Bernie. Let's get back to that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We have the radical idea that maybe we should have a government in Washington whose principles are based on love and compassion and justice, not greed and corruption and divisiveness. So our goal is to bring the American people together around economic justice, social justice, racial justice, and environmental justice. This is Comrade Sanders telling you exactly what you will get if he becomes the president of the United States. I do think there are enough Democrats that are concerned about this that he will not be the guy. I, I do think there are enough Democrats at this stage who recognize the realities of of a Bernie Sanders candidacy that it's going to but you got to take it seriously. Let me go back to Bloomberg for a second, though. I'm going to do a little more on Sanders. Bloomberg can spend money on a level that no one has ever been able to spend money before in American presidential politics. No one, no one will have ever done what he's doing. 
can he buy the nomination? No, I don't think so. I, do, I just I don't see him being. Um, but what does that even mean, though? Because forget about the, whether he could buy the nomination. Can he influence events enough such that he becomes a in a very fractured, very divided Democrat primary? You have a guy who is ideologically a liberal. He is a leftist. He's a leftist on the nanny state, on health care, on climate change, on guns. He is a leftist. He's a man of the left. But he also understands business and he understands efficiency. Bernie Sanders offers you what would very quickly start to feel like the implementation of Venezuela-style policies in America. We wouldn't fall into disrepair the way Venezuela has quite as quickly. But Bernie Sanders offers you Venezuela, so to speak. Mike Bloomberg offers you Denmark, offers you Sweden. Now, these are very rough analogies, but I'm saying he offers you, at least at the top level, government that would be more efficient, more able to deliver on the promises, not entirely because socialism is inherently flawed. It's not going to be what they think it will be, but it's a big state, big S state government that is able to give enough to the people to deliver on enough promises that it can maintain a majority of the vote, that it can stay in power. That's what really concerns me. Bernie Sanders, he'd be, he'd be Jimmy Carter with less, you know, with less economic acumen. It'd be Jimmy Carter with less understanding of how to manage the markets and how to deal. I mean, that's what you're, that's what you're looking at, right? It'd be, it'd be a disaster. I mean, Jimmy Carter, everyone kind of knows now that was a disaster. Bloomberg, perhaps presented to the Democrats, would be somebody who they could say he gives us what we want ideologically, but he also is a more serious person as an administrator, as a leader, as an executive. So I, I can't tell you. I mean, no one knows where this primary is really going right now. I mean, you know, if you're, there's no safe money or smart money, but if you're going to take the odds, the odds are still that I don't think Biden's going to be the nominee. I've been saying that from the beginning. I haven't wavered, but that's still the guy who despite everything, is considered to be the best, uh, the best option here for those who want to go with where the numbers are trending. But I look, at this, I look at this race and I say to myself, who could really, you know, it, it's, I don't think Michelle Obama is going to want to get in. You know, in, in a sense, for the sort of the same reason that these, uh, these, these British royals are leaving, it's better to be Michelle Obama and just do whatever you want and be super rich and have everybody love you. You want to you deal with being the president? I don't think so. I, 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 still, I think the same thing with Oprah, too. You know, I'm sure Trump has his days where he's like, was it more fun when I was a billionaire who could do absolutely whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, or like I actually have to give speeches and pay attention and do all this stuff? I mean, I'm sure he likes being president most days, but there are frustrations that come along with it. Bloomberg, though, Bloomberg, though is the guy who comes along and offers you a, vision, a liberal vision of big government and the nanny state that is not run by a complete imbecile which is what you would have with Bernie Sanders. And that perhaps will be more compelling to Democrats down the line than it seems right now. And, and I would worry about that more if he got elected. Mike Bloomberg is a bigger danger to the National Republican Party in many ways than Bernie Sanders is because Bernie Sanders' ineptitude would collapse upon itself. Bloomberg would keep the trains running on time. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team, sometimes a story comes up that I'm not planning on talking about, but it just seems like it's something that should, um, should be on our radar. 
Well, here we have it. Galapagos giant tortoise has so much sex, he retires after saving his species. Not all heroes wear capes, folks. Some of them have very large, brittle shells. And this fellow falls into that category. Here's a story courtesy of ABC News. A Galapagos giant tortoise, a tortoise, turtle, tortoise, whatever, estimated to be about 130 years old, is returning home after having so much sex that he saved his species. Diego, part of the Chelenoides hudensis species that lives on the Galapagos island of Española, was one of the tortoises brought to the U.S. between 1928 and 1933 and was later placed into the Charles Darwin Research Station for protection after the species was declared critically endangered in the 1960s, according to San Diego Zoo. Diego spent 30 years at the San Diego Zoo breeding program, and the population as a result of this on the Galapagos uh, Islands went from 15 total, 15 total giant tortoises, to 2,000 as a result of this conservancy effort, and as many as 40% of the current population of tortoises are thought to be direct descendants of Diego from the San Diego Zoo breeding program. My man Diego has 800 kids. <laughs> that's, producer Mark, that's a lot of tuitions. That's what I, I know you're a recently married guy. 800 is a lot. A lot. Yeah, I know. I don't know how uh, you uh, pay for that much college. Do yeah. tortoises go to college? Yeah, and I don't. You know, I don't want you throwing throwing your back out, chasing little kids around or anything. There's 800 of them. That's going to be tough. Well, I mean, they're going to be slow. That's a good point. They're tortoises. Yeah. you probably could train them pretty easily too. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, they carry their own house with them. Maybe we got this all wrong. You know. Yeah, you don't actually have to pay it's much a, for them. It's just a problem for our species. Yeah, they just need a little fresh water and. Whatever tortoises eat, I feel like it's like crushed up bugs. Probably is my guess. You know, I think they eat like leaves and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that too. But yeah. like, you know, yeah, you're probably right. They're herbivores, but don't they eat like grasshoppers and stuff? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever, whatever tortoises eat. But yeah, this guy. I just think that's a great headline. Galapagos giant tortoise has so much sex he retires after saving his species. What if he doesn't want to retire? That's a whole other thing. This is forced retirement. What if, what if Diego's like, whoa, I'm just getting started. <laughs> exactly. I've only been at this for about a century and change. Don't giant tortoises live a really long really time? Really long, yeah. really long time. Yeah. yeah. But I will say there's also, and I cannot vouch for the authenticity of this, there is video attached to this no, no. by commenters of Diego in, in flagrante Diego, if you know what I'm, you know, uh, in flagrante delicto or whatever. Is this like Geo? Uh, he's... Um, and and apparently, the t- <laughs> that's so dumb. Apparently, the tortoise will. <laughs> it's, Please I'm, describe this I'm for sorry. our radio audience. Well, the tortoise will like when he has finished trying to help save the species. You sure, he will sort of fall down. Does he fall on his back? He just he just falls. He just like falls down. And what I want to know is what he's done. And the lady tortoise, you know, slowly walks away. Does somebody have to flip him? Probably. Like flip him back upright because he just kind of (laughs) like. Passes out and falls down, you know. Well, if he falls on his back, you have to he, flip him back he, over. Right, right? I mean, the guy's like... doing his part to save the species, for heaven's sakes. He's a hero. What before oh, humans? Man. Like, how did before humans were there to help? How did a tortoise get back I, on? I, I don't. I'm like, I kind of is it. Is it not safe? I mean, I feel like I'm allowed to show you. It's like it's a gif, actually. You could see the tortoise. <laughs> he has his arms up like this. 
and he falls down. I'm like, is this not safe for work? Am I, I allowed to? It's just a tortoise doing what, you know. I you mean, know, you can watch National Geographic at work, I guess. This, this so. tortoise is basically saying, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but reptiles. Aye. So, wow. you know, it's it's amazing, though. I, I will, it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. It's so great. So, anyway, he saved his species, and um, he's a hero. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man. Of course, this is a part of the patriarchy, though, because um, I believe females lay many, 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 many eggs. So where you know why aren't they getting you know this is tortoise patriarchy they're not getting the credit here for saving the species that they should they should you know yeah. he just shows up one time and then he's out you know he he, he flies the coop or whatever Wait, you call it lay collection eggs? is that how yeah turtles I like, didn't know that turtles lay eggs and then I they, really should pay more attention to zoos yeah or are they in aquariums I don't know I'm sure we have some mm. listeners I mean we always, team buck is always amazing for very detailed expert knowledge on any particular topic. Sure. Like, I can start talking smack about how to build a perfect ant farm, and we'll have some guy named Bob who listens to the show who's like, I don't mean to brag, hashtag OSS, hashtag Team Buck. However, I am the international ant farm building champion. Here are my credentials. And here, you know, and, and then I'm like, yes, sir. You know, Literally like, anything we talk about, there's an expert listening. Yeah. I mean, if we could, if we were doing this show in, re- in real time and we were on like a Black Hawk helicopter that was malfunctioning and we could get the word out to relay the team, guys, we've only got five minutes before this chopper is going gonna, is gonna to go down. The, people that listen to this show would be able to walk us through with expert sure. detail and precision how to fix, assuming it was fixable, which but, if you're but, in a helicopter that's in trouble, you're in big what trouble. What I would say is shouldn't somebody be on the helicopter with us, like a pilot, you Yeah, say? but just, just go with my stupid analogy. Okay. You know, just go with it. Because I'm not getting minute. on a Black Hawk helicopter that you're driving. Um, and yes. Yeah, no, that not, not That would be a bad idea. Yeah. I haven't even driven a car in, it's been years now. Really? I used to drive all the time. I used to drive all the time. I mean, I, I guess you've lived anymore. in New York and D.C. So. I know people in New York who don't know how to drive. Really? Adults. Functioning, no. you know, real adult people that pay the bills and go to the jobs, and they don't have, uh, they, some of them just have that, uh, like, driver ID card thing, you know? Yeah, but, from the DMV, they, yeah. it's just an ID card. Yeah, just the ID card, so. It's crazy. Anyway, I was, I almost started, I always started crying with laughter in the, Blake, or in the break, um, talking about the Galapagos giant tortoise, because I saw the, mostly because the video of, <laughs> the video of the tortoise. Please stop watching that on the air. <laughs> Do you understand? It goes like this, and then it falls down like this. It's amazing. It's like... <laughs> It's, it's like, dude, we all know, we all know how you're feeling, buddy. I, I'm speechless, and I can't say anything that won't get me in trouble right now. Okay, all right, we got, we're gonna come back and talk about Comrade Sanders. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. was disappointed to hear that Bernie is sending his volunteers out to trash me. Bernie knows me and has known me for a long time. Uh, He knows who I am, where I come from, what I have worked on and fought for, and the coalition and grassroots movement we're trying to build. Democrats want to win. 2020, we all saw the impact of the factionalism in 2016, and we can't have a repeat of that. Um, Democrats need 
to unite our party. And that means pulling in all parts of the Democratic coalition. That is in response to things getting a little bit heated between the campaigns of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. This was really inevitable because they're they're fighting over the same they're fighting over the same constituency largely. And if you were to add the numbers, I've been saying this so long, if you were to add the numbers of uh, national support, and it, certainly if you look at even state by state in the early uh, in the early primary states, what uh, you know that if you look at that and you were to add Sanders and Warren together, uh, what you'd find very quickly is that you'd have the number one candidate. And I think that that's a pretty fair. I think most of Bernie supporters would go for Warren. And I think most of Warren supporters would go for Bernie. That's just a guess. I don't I'm not looking at the specific numbers on that, but it makes sense. Right. These are the two most progressive, most far left candidates. Although on policy matters, Buttigieg seems very, you know, he, he presents as a centrist. He's, he's an eloquent guy. I give credit where it's due, but he presents as a centrist. But his policies are actually quite far left, too. I mean, he'd probably be number three on my list of leftists who are still still in the game, leftists who are still trying to make a go of it here. But you're going to see a bit of internecine battling between Sanders and and Warren, because they're, they're, you know, this is this is like in different parts of Europe where the socialists were fighting with other socialists over who got to be the real socialists. That's kind of happening in the Democratic primary right now, and I think we can expect that to get uh, even more, you know, even more vitriolic because you know there's a lot there's a lot at stake here. If you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, this is it, right? There's not gonna I don't I don't believe that anyone really that Bernie's too old now, really. But he's definitely going to be too old in four more years. Um, although, you know, maybe Democrats will just pretend that nothing matters and, you know, who cares? Um, but I think he's definitely going to be too old in, in four more years. And I think we also have to look at w- what the chances are that, you know, Elizabeth Warren is going to be able to maintain her positioning within the Democratic Party in four more years if she doesn't get it done this time. So there, there does, I, I think there's certainly a very high urgency for Bernie Sanders. I think there's a pretty high sense of urgency for Elizabeth Warren. But, but Producer Mark, how old is Warren? I actually don't know that offhand, and I should know that. I would. I feel like she's got to be Hillary's age, but am I? maybe she's a little younger? Interesting, because her age never comes up as a fact. What is she? 70. Yeah. Okay, she's right. The, 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 I, I was, I'm a little shocked by that. I yeah, thought she was like the, mid-60s. Yeah, yeah, I thought maybe she was like early 60s. I mean, 74, you're going to run for president? You're going to be president until you're 82 if you serve two terms? Yeah. Like... I'm sorry. I think that she, I think it's now or never for Warren too. So if you're a Warren person, you're a Bernie person. You don't you don't have uh, the luxury of well, this is just a test run for the next time. And just in general, even Trump, why do you want to run for president at that age? Go sit on a beach somewhere. Oh, I, I, like, I honestly, know. I know. Especially with some of these folks who you know. If I'm working that hard at that age, shoot cushy me. Cushy jobs, yeah, yeah. No, producer producer Mark is just going to be. He's going to be sending in emails to the Freedom Hut in in 40 years from uh, what is the preferred beach location if you had to pick right now. In America, yeah, America. I guess Florida. You go for, where Florida though? <sighs> There's a lot of nice places. Yeah, I like I like West Palm these days. Yeah, I like, I like Delray. Nice. Delray's a really nice town. Beautiful downtown, town. Yeah. I was down. I was down there actually a couple of years ago, and I was uh, stunned by how yeah. great, not very expensive restaurants, very yeah. beachy. Very and have beachy I, have we mentioned lately no state income tax? Oh, 
we've been talking. We, we, we kind of sit here. Okay, look, it's although it was it was like sixty degrees in New York this weekend, which, which is going to make us all sick in two weeks. Which is a, yeah, but it was amazing. I was I was walking around in a t-shirt in January in New York City. It was just it was incredibly beautiful outside. But we're sitting around thinking, okay, everyone was walking around the streets of New York. I mean, I was like walking through Times Square, seeing what's going on. Everyone's walking around, and we're all in such a good mood. You know, because we're like, wow, you know, it's not my my nose is not like dripping and my face doesn't feel like it's going to fall off. I'm in a good mood. There are Americans. There are real living Americans today who have better weather than that Mm -hmm. all year long. Yeah. They just have to deal with hurricanes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, everything comes with its cost. And in the summertime, I think you walk around. I mean, I'm I'm a sweater. Are you a sweater? Oh, big sweater. Yeah, I don't. I'm not good with the, the high humidity, high heat stuff. Yeah. True, Baghdad is a dry heat, so that wasn't so bad. But other places, oh, move to Vegas then. Yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd be better with that than I am with the swampy. The swampy DC is miserable in July. DC is just I could everyone imagine. walking around in a suit. You're just you're just sweating through. Because I always say there's no such thing as a summer suit. It's a lie. It's a marketing gimmick. If you have to put on all those layers, you're going to be sweating no matter what you're wearing. I don't, I don't think I don't I've care. ever worn a suit during the summer. I don't summer. care if you're wearing, you know, saran, saran wrap poked with lots of holes in it. You're still going to be sweating all the time. Well, that probably was not a good, you know what I mean? It's something very yeah, that breathable. just sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it did. Sound, <laughs> 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 it all depends on your fashion sense, I guess. <laughs> um, but let's get back to uh, uh, the Sanders-Warren throwdown here, which I think is is going to be, this is going to be the Democrat story at this stage of the primary because they're both going to have their best performances in these early states, Iowa, New Hampshire. This is where you're going to see those two candidates um, doing their very best. And there's going to be a lot of pressure for one to drop out uh, and the other perhaps to stay in. Um, well, obviously the other to stay in, but I mean, for one to drop out so the other can stay in. Sorry, that's I turned into an ESPN analyst there for a second. Well, you know, the team that wins this is going to be the one with more points on the board at the end of the game. Um, see, I could do it, Producer producer Mark. I'm good like that. You've, you'd actually be exactly the same as the ESPN Monday Night Football analyst. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's actually terrible. Like, yeah. Your you mocking know. is real. You know, the, the one thing about that catch is that if it were completed, it would have been a catch. An actual quote was, oh, they better go for two here because that'll make it a three-point game. Actual quote last week in the... Uh, Playoffs. Well, there we go. Yep. Yeah, that's exciting stuff from the from the announcers there. Can you play? Speaking of interesting theorizing, can you please, as we're looking at the difference between Warren and Sanders, which and age wise, I, like I said, Warren is seventy. I did not realize she's so old, uh, but uh, she's also very woke, very left wing. Please play clip three. That is also true with the LGBTQ community. We have to protect all of our people and it works all the way through the system you know we were talking earlier about criminal justice one of the things we have to think about as a nation we have to stop putting trans women who are incarcerated into prisons with men where they are at risk it's our responsibility Stop putting trans women into prisons with men where they're at risk. My friends, I I cannot tell you right now what the show was or when it was exactly. But in the earlier days of the Freedom Hut, I remember going into some lengthy discourse because it was it was in the early stages of what is now the transgender rights phenomenon. Um, I remember saying, where do we start? And this is when we would talk about bathroom usage. We talk about sports. And as we know, bathroom usage 
I, everywhere I'm going these days, I'm seeing more and more, you know, you know, male and female bathroom. I mean, it's, you know, unisex or whatever they're calling, you know, all sex, omnisex, whatever the, the proper terminology is. Um, as we know, with sports, you got guy, you got guys who are biological males who are, you know, 6'4", competing against a whole bunch of five foot seven women in volleyball. This uh, individual in Australia, for example, you know, who's considerably larger than me, and he's playing in women's volleyball. Anyway, uh, that's already happened. But one place where you sort of say, hold on a second, what happens in the prison system? And now Democrats are there, too. I was saying back then, if you were, if you were someone who was assigned to life in prison as a male— and you were never getting out, no, no possibility of parole, what would the calculation be? Think about how much better, how much safer you would be, how much, uh, how preferable it would be for a whole lot of reasons, perhaps, to be assigned to spend the rest of your life in a, in, to be a, ma- a biological male in a women's prison. And the kind of person that's going to prison for life might look at this and say, hold on a second, there's a real imperative here, there's a real advantage. And now Democrats are straight up, just what Elizabeth Warren is saying. You know, how are they going to judge us? Do you have to have a sex change operation to go to a woman's prison? Or what if you just feel like you're a woman on the inside? And I'm, I'm really asking that question. I'd want to know what the liberals say. It seems to me that they will say that you get to go to a woman's prison forever, which that's going to have a whole lot of consequences. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes I, I skip something that I meant to get to earlier, and, and here's an example of that. Um, FISA abuse is something that we now have to talk about. It is real. It happened. FISA abuse is a thing that occurred that hurt a presidential campaign that was done specifically to spy on political rivals. And they can claim now the FBI can tell us as much as they want. Oh, it was all good faith. I don't believe it. There was abuse. We know this because they had to refer someone for prosecution for fabricating evidence to the FISA court. Uh, there was abuse. There, there were ways in which um, the people charged with oversight either didn't do their jobs or were unwilling to do their jobs. And I've been telling you all along, do not expect, do not expect the bureaucracy to take any real action on this. Do not expect the bureaucracy to do the right thing here. And unfortunately, I'm right. Once again, uh, we have been shown now who the person is in charge, uh, appointed by, remember, so the FISA court is abused and doesn't do its job. And then we turn to the FISA court, right, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. This is how they got the Carter Page warrant going. This is at the heart of spying on the Trump campaign, the heart of the Russia collusion madness. The Inspector General report, Horowitz's report, comes out. We see in that report there were, you know, whatever it was, I think it was 17 or 19 egregious examples of, of misconduct, um, withholding information, keeping out exculpatory information, making things look worse than they were to get the continuation of the warrants. Bad, bad, bad stuff. Unacceptable. A big deal and unacceptable. Horowitz even said that. You would think, given the political sensitivities that this has uh, not just created, but continues to endanger, I mean, we have a real sense now that there is a deep state, that there are people who will use the powers inside of government for partisan purposes. They will leak. They will cheat. They will do what they have to do in order to help their team and hurt the other team. It always seems to go against Republicans, by the way, but 
perhaps that will be different one day. And they have the uh, FISA Intelligence Surveillance Court, <clears throat> FISC, F-I-S-C, has decided, because of uh, the judge here, James Boasberg, or Bozberg, however you say it, has appointed David Chris to be the person who looks at the FBI's proposed changes to the application process at the, at the FISA court. This guy is a Russia collusion delusion loon. That's who they've. That's who the FISA court has put in charge of this. This was somebody who was going out publicly. This guy, uh, David Chris, going out publicly to say that Devin Nunes was dangerously wrong with his memo. Nunes was absolutely correct. Nunes should get even more credit than he does. He took a ton of heat. The media was trashing him, trashing him. People were saying that he was a traitor. People were saying he should lose his office, all this terrible stuff for telling the truth. Nunes actually spoke truth to power on the issue of Russia collusion and the FISA accord and all the abuse that was going on. Has anyone apologized to him? Does anyone even thank him for any of this? No. Well, I mean, Republicans do, but no, nobody on the other side will. They just let it continue on as is. This guy, Chris who was Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division of the DOJ, I believe under the Obama administration, uh, said that Nunes was lying. He also used to appear on MSNBC on Rachel Maddow's show to defend the Russia collusion narrative, to say the FBI did nothing wrong. All the T's were crossed. All the I's were dotted. This guy is an apologist for the weaponization of the FBI's FISA powers against the Trump campaign. He is obviously not impartial. He is not someone who um, should be trusted with this, with this at all. And the fact that the FISA intelligence surveillance, uh, sorry, the FISA court, the FISC, uh, would be able to appoint its own, you know, house cleaning unit, so to speak, just goes to show you how unserious this whole exercise is. This is absurd. Chris tweeted. I mean, I'm like, you can look at his tweets and know who this guy is. Quote, I suspect that POTUS, Trump, and his closest advisors are and should be worried that, depending on the evidence, Mueller's next steps will make it feel like the walls are closing in. Oh, he was a walls are closing in guy, you see. He was a, any day now we're going to find the proof of the Russia collusion. Any day now we're going to see that Trump's really a traitor. Now, he's an idiot. I mean, he looks like a total buffoon on this stuff. And the FISA court, the chief judge in the FISA court is going to... But remember, this is all... This is the self-licking ice cream cone of the bureaucracy. This is what you should expect. The bureaucracy is like Skynet and Terminator. It is self-aware and it will do anything to defend itself. Bureaucrats don't want it... You know, they don't want to deal with any headaches. They can always justify sweeping whatever they have to under the rug because... They think the mission is more important than the truth. And the mission is, of course, whatever they say it is. So this is just yet another example of the lack of seriousness, uh, seriousness with which those institutions that should be getting so much more scrutiny from us now are able to evade those additional layers of scrutiny, able to evade that real accountability because the bureaucracy will defend itself. The bureaucracy will do whatever it has to do to make sure that there is no real change, there is no real accountability. And putting this guy, Chris, why don't they just have Rachel Maddow run this? You know, why don't they just have fake Tapper do this? Or have, uh, you know, the guy who wrote the 
proof of collusion book, who's now become like a known person because he wrote a book that's the whole thing. I mean, the, the whole premise is false, but no one seems to care because it was useful for trashing Trump at the time. So we're not going to get any real reform of the, just as I've been saying so long, you're not getting any real reform of the FISA court. You're not going to see any of these people go to prison. The real test is going to be whether Andy McCabe just totally skates. I think he probably will, by the way. I think McCabe is going to get away with uh, a slap on the wrist for lying to They're going to say, oh, well, he extenuating circumstances, blah, blah, blah. It's just the rules don't apply to the people inside the system. And those people inside the system have so much power when politics are at stake to destroy you or anyone you support. And they know that. That's not going to change either. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. It is time for the call of the roll. Did you, by the way, you see they're making some movie about it. I, I just saw a brief like snippet of the, of the trailer, not even the full trailer, where there's a, a big CGI dog named Buck. Why is it always just loser uncles and dogs that are named Buck in pop culture? You don't want to be Uncle Buck? Dude, don't even get me started. <laughs> don't, even get, don't even get me started on that. That nonsense. And what's nonsense. wrong with being a dog? Dogs are great. No, dogs are fantastic, but, you know, it was like, oh, Buck's a dog name, or they say it's a porn star name. Like, why is uh, I mean... Well, Buck Sexton, whatever. <laughs> it's all right. My mom and dad wanted to make sure that I was humble, so they gave me the weirdest name possible, and it, trust me, it, it is a humbling experience. That's for sure. Um, we have roll call to get to, which is a good thing. Adam, Buck, who will lead the Spartans now that Cory Booker is gone? Adam, it's a fair question, man. You know, who's going to lead them now that uh, Cory Booker is no longer in the race? I don't know. I say this to you honestly. I, I feel like I feel like Cory Booker is probably a nice dude. I don't I don't despise him or his persona because I don't even know some some of these people I know. I've dealt with them personally, but I don't know Cory Booker, but he seems like a nice enough guy. He's just, you know, wrong and he's a lib. And, you know, so he's not going to be president. There we go. I am Spartacus. Oh, there we go. Is that wait? That's that was him, right? Yeah. With music, with yeah. a, with a track in the back. Yeah. I'm I'm good at my job occasionally. Look at know. that. Are you not entertained, producer Mark? Well, wants just, to know. You broke the fourth wall there, though, pointing it yeah. out that I did that. Yeah, yeah whatever. Just... Are you not entertained, Ethan? Hey, Buck, love the show. To add to the recent movie talk, I'd recommend Triple Frontier on Netflix if you haven't seen it. There's a couple silly scenes, but overall, a solid story. Basically, it's about a group of former Army Special Ops guys who decide decide to rip off a drug lord. If you're going to check it out, I'd suggest not watching the trailer first. Too many spoilers. Ethan. Ethan, I saw Triple Frontier right when it came out. Um, I thought it was well done for what it was. It felt a little heavy-handed in some ways to me, but it was a good watch. I, I you know, Have you seen it, Producer Mark? I'd say... Well, you have to I'm watch not. 13 hours first. There's a lot of stuff. I'm not I even. I don't even know if I can talk to you anymore until you watch 13 hours. Like I might have to silent treat That's the one? Right? you and you. 13 hours, man. You've got to watch. Is 13 it on hours. Netflix? It probably. All right. Maybe on Amazon Prime. Uh, you want me to get another streaming service? Well, don't, don't you like getting the free boxes of stuff that you're too lazy to go to CVS to get yourself? Or, what or do you mean free read? boxes of stuff? Like you get bo- Amazon sends you everything in a box. Yeah, you you get a, you get a thing of dental floss. It'll be in a box that you could you could fit in yourself. Yeah, but it's not for free. I have to pay for the dental floss. Well, the dental floss, yes, but the shipping. If you have Prime, you don't. I don't they'll have send, Prime. They'll send you anything. Yeah, I'm dude, too Amazon, cheap for Prime. Amazon Prime. They will send a Sherman tank to your front door. They'll I'm have aware. a big box for it. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. 
Just saying. Um, somebody asked me this recent, recently, by the way, if I had a favorite drugstore chain. And, and I felt like aren't, I can't even tell. When I'm in a Dwayne Reed or a CVS or a Walg, I can't even tell which CVS one I'm in. CVS is different. Why is it different? It's owned by a different company. Dwayne Reed, Walgreens, and Rite Aid are all the same company. That's why it all feels the same. I yeah. didn't know that. Oh, Proust and Mark. And Dwayne Reed's a very New York thing. There's right. one like on every block. Milwaukee, which means the good land. Thank you, Producer Mark. You're welcome. Um, I did not know that. Although I do know that Dwayne Reed comes from the two streets down around where we are in Tribeca in New York City, Dwayne and Reed. You know that? That's where the initial Dwayne Reed store was. I did not know that. The, the meeting of Dwayne and, and Reed And then they decided to build one on every block. Correct, yes. Yeah. So it's not quite as much like your neighborhood joint as it used to be. Um, but yes, Triple Frontier is good. Um, the Mandalorian is amazing. I'm going to stop just giving the Mandalorian a back rub all the time, because, it, but, but it is a really, really good show. Um, I think you'll all enjoy it, even if you don't like Star Wars, which is saying a lot. Uh, all right, Jeff. Um, hello, Buck. I'm a big fan of the majority of your movie picks. Sadly, Primal Rage was not a keeper. I'm with you on the Van Damme movies, though. Hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second. All right. Hold on a second, Jeff. Primal Rage was not one of my picks. That is not fair to say. It is a movie that I watched that I discussed on TV and that one of the actors, our friend Marshall Hilton, called in to talk to us about because he listens to the show and he starred in the movie as the main bad guy. So we had a little bit of a connection to that movie. But no, the uh, Marshall's acting is good. The lead guy, the acting, but he had a personal tragedy go on during the show, so we try to give him a little more, you know, a little more leeway. Um, but Primal Rage is a very violent movie. <laughs> I will say that. I, there were some scenes where I was like, oh, I don't know if I can watch this. Um, and there should be really good, like, there should be a Netflix Bigfoot series that really takes the story of, Net, uh, of Bigfoot and runs with it in a way that works in all the sort of lore and then the sort of Native American lore around and does all that stuff. Something good it is, but the like they made a Dracula series and it's trash and it makes me so sad because you guys know I'm a Dracula fan. Die, die, die! I can't. And if you call me Van Helsing, wahoo! Some of you will know what I'm talking about, and you'll think that that was really a fun thing to throw into the mixer on the radio show. The rest of you will be like, "What is Buck smoking?" And is producer Mark going to take it out of his hands in time? And that's. That is an open question for all of us, I will say. Well, that's what you're going to California for. New impressions. There we go. Mm. Definitely not for smoke. Definitely not for smoking things. Hey, it's completely legal in California. I know it's about to be legal in New York. In fact, oh, we actually have Is that true? It's a good yeah, they're gonna make it legal mm. in New York State, I mm. think. Um Elizabeth Warren, by the way, wants to do we have her saying she wants to legalize weed? Yeah, play seventeen. It is time to legalize marijuana. <laughs> For a whole bunch of reasons. We need, we need to be able to do the research on it. We need to be able to control it. It shouldn't be sold in back alleys. It should be like alcohol in that sense. You know what you're getting when you buy Um, I'm really curious to see what the team thinks about this one because I feel like I, I'm pro pro decriminalization of marijuana. I have been for a long time. Um, but I know some conservatives get very upset about it. And and I've I've yet to really hear compelling. The only arguments that start to feel compelling is when people say that the damage from marijuana is much more severe than people realize. And that I think 
I'm I'm amenable to that, or I'm I'm open minded to that line of argument, because uh, otherwise, dare I say, I, I kind of I kind of agree with Elizabeth Warren on that one. I can hear the booze the booze rising up from across the country, but. I agree with a lot also. of Republicans. What? I agree with her also. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're both. You can boo. Bo- so don't boo me. Boo producer Mark because he doesn't care. That's the usual. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I don't know if you guys have a good argument against against weed um, legalization. Uh, by the way, I, don't, I haven't smoked marijuana in. Well, I don't know, 20 years, maybe. I mean, I've, I've been I don't touch it. I don't, I don't smoke anything. I, I'm, I'm not a smoker of anything. Um, and I'm trying to cut back on, I don't drink a lot either, but I try to cut back on the booze because, you know, my big thing is, man, it's not even that it's that when I drink, I eat in a different kind of way. Oh yeah. Cause you stop caring yeah. about anything. Correct. When, so when, you know, I can have, uh, I can like have a mezcal, you know, straight and that's fine. If I get to two or three of them though, I'm just like. I don't want French fries. I want French fries with like cheese sauce yeah. and bacon bits and like chunks of chicken. Exactly. Tied to more bacon I bits. I believe those are called tachos. What, whatever it is. Like yeah. I, I tater you know, tots like that are nachos. You know, you know what really gets it. me excited when drunk? The just the idea of like what is it, poutine? Oh, poutine is the best is, thing Canada's ever given. Right? Us. You just that's Well no, hockey then poutine. Right, hockey then poutine. So you go above maples, you know, maybe I'm a I like a little maple flavoring. Maple syrup is usually too much for me, though. I only like maple syrup on waffles or pancakes. Yeah, that's probably mm. true. I got. By the way, have I ever brought in my brother's muffins from his company? He has a company. You have not. He does? does. Yeah, I'll bring. Why them is in he not a sponsor? Uh, you know, we're working on it. All right, we're working on it. Um, but uh, I should bring them in sometime. We do a little taste test on the air. Uh, we'll do a longer roll call tomorrow because I've stolen some of the team's time today by being a by being a silly man. Ron writes in Buck. I think you missed the point Mike Lee was trying to make. He was not criticizing the administration for the justification that supported the killing of Soleimani. He was criticizing the administration briefers for trying to limit debate and discussion among senators. Yeah, but Ron, I mean, he can't... I, I appreciate what you're saying, my friend, and thank you for writing in, but it's it, it doesn't... It, the briefers can say, hey, guys, we'd like it if... And then Mike Lee can just ignore that. He's a senator. He doesn't, he doesn't work for the executive branch. He doesn't listen to them at all. So it felt a little... I can maybe, you know, it got, got his back up a little bit. He didn't like it, but it felt a little over the top for him to freak out in quite that way. So, you know, I'll just say it, man. I think that, uh, I don't know. Maybe we need to get Mike Lee on the show, and I'll talk to him a little bit, and then I'll be a little more pro-Mike Lee. I haven't talked to him in a long time. So maybe I just miss him. That's my problem. All right, team, that's going to be the show for today. Tomorrow's show is going to be amazing, though. Tell somebody, pass the buck, get them to download the podcast. Shields high.